episode 86 of the Bevan James Isle Show, the Fitness Behaviour Podcast. 14 interesting points. Radio team, welcome along to episode 86 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that go alongside it. Uh, i got to say, it's the last day of the Olympics today. Right now, the closing ceremony is happening and I have to say, it's been a really interesting two weeks for me because one thing I do do is I commit to the, the Olympics. I really do. I kind of think that it's an event that happens every four years. I love sport, I really do, and I love the Olympics for so many reasons, um, one that, well, I think one of the really cool things about the Olympics is it exposes you to so many different types of sports that you may not traditionally watch, now you may know that they happen, but, you know, I know swimming's happening, and if it's on the news, it's, you know, any stage throughout the year, you might see it, but I don't traditionally sit down and watch swimming, or, or equestrian, or handball, or even just track and field, and so it's just a really good chance to immerse yourself in sport. Now, uh, with this latest Olympics in New Zealand, the time's been pretty good, but not completely good. So the Olympics pretty much started at midnight in New Zealand, and they went through to about three in the afternoon each day. And I knew going into the Olympics that I was going to be kind of committing to watching <laughs> a lot of the Olympics. So I had a lot of mornings where I was waking up at three in the morning, uh, and uh, and in my office, I, you know, I often talk about not being distracted. Well. In the last two weeks of my life, I've been very distracted because I've had two screens in my office in front of behind, beside my computer screen with the Olympics just going pretty much up until three every day. So it's been a really cool time. Some things that are some interesting insights from the Olympics. I think, first of all, to me, it, 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 there's just so much good stuff, like some real highlights. So I'm just going to talk about some highlights. I'm going to get into today's show later on. There's some some interesting stuff I want to talk about in the main gist of today's show, but I think there's some really awesome highlights, and there'll be a couple of things that I think that, that are a little bit sad about the Olympics. So first of all, some of the highlights um, was one sailing race, um, and I don't know exactly who won this race. I wish I probably should have done a bit of research, but it was a sailing race where a New Zealand got third. Now, obviously, I was going to watch. I was watching the race because the Kiwi was in it, but there was an Australian guy who, um, basically, going into the last race. He, 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 the guy who was leading had to get last, and this guy had to get like fourth or third to get the gold medal. And so it was a highly unlikely that this was going to happen. And then, uh, but this Australian guy just basically decided, and he was in the silver medal position, so he was going to get silver, he could walk away and say, no, nope, that's my day. And then at the same time, you know, if he went for the gold and took the risk of trying to, you know, influence the race that made the lava guy get last there was a high chance he wouldn't get a medal at all and this guy took some pretty risky plays to take the chance of getting the, the gold medal and for example before the race he just basically hung on the guy who was the current gold medal holder and just sat around him and just kind of looked for a penalty and, and managed to get a guy the guy who was in the gold medal position to get a penalty and from there he let him go and now he did this and achieved this but it also meant he was the second to last person on the course as the race started and he managed to sail himself all the way up to third place and I don't know it was just um, to me I just really respected you know because one thing about the Olympics is Olympics one of the nice things about the Olympics is getting a medal is kind of the goal now obviously getting gold medal is the goal but you kind of get a little bit lured off the hook with the Olympics if you're going to get a silver or a bronze. You know, like, you know, a lot of sports, it's kind of the winner takes all. But in the Olympics, because they do have the silver and the bronze, a lot of people walk away being portrayed as a success because they have the silver or the bronze. And, you know, the ultimate athlete is the one who gets the gold. But, you know, you know, in New Zealand, for example, we got about four golds, I think, but we got about 10 silvers and maybe eight bronzes or something like that, or four or five bronzes, but you know, so like in New Zealand, the gold medalists definitely get lots of love, but anyone who got a a silver and a bronze got lots of love as well, well this guy was in a position where he could justify, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm, I can be happy with silver, but he didn't, he kind of said, I'm willing to lose any recognition that I get, either a silver or a bronze, for the opportunity to create a gold medal, and I don't know if I'd do that myself. 
I'm a bit of a conservative character. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm just not quite sure if I'm someone who would would do that myself. And um, I just really admired this guy's guts to take that risk. It's interesting, I've just recently read Phil Knight's book. Phil Knight is the starter of Nike, or Nike. And um, and one thing you got from Phil Knight in his book, and his book's a really interesting book because it only really covers Nike up until basically the early 80s, well, really 1980. I mean, so it really shows the growth of the business. And there's one thing that you get from Phil's book is that he was willing to risk it all to achieve the ultimate goal. And while even though from the outside the business looked very successful in those early years, it was it was always on the edge of kind of tipping over. And he was just someone who was willing to take that ultimate risk. And for me, that is something that I admire. And, you know, in this Australian sailor, he was, it was, it was probably one of the highlights of the Olympics for me, was to see somebody go, no, I'm here to win a gold. I'm going to sacrifice what would be a rewarding thing to, to get my ultimate. And there's something in that I think is very admirable. Um, some other real highlights of the Olympics were to see some of the, the real legends of the Olympics of this last period of time still perform at, at you know their last kind of league at this page. You know, Michael Phelps, um, you know, Usain Bolt, these types of athletes, you know, um, even like a New Zealand guy, a guy called Nick Willis, he got bronze in the 1500 meter, and he's been a guy who's been around for a long time, got a silver about 12 years ago. You know, these these types of people who have just been in the sport for a very long time and uh, just just really just continue to do great things. And, you know, that will definitely be the last we see of a lot of those athletes, but, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was pretty cool to see that. Dominating performances, uh, Leaky from the US in the pool, jeepers creepers man, <laughs> that woman is a phenom, she was just unbelievable, I watched the 800 meter race and she's, she beat the world record but there was literally like a pool length in front of the second, third place people in the race, she was just miles ahead and the triathlon with the Brownlee brothers and Alistair Brownlee just absolutely dom- dominated and Jorgensen in the female triathlon, you know just to see some of these people Against the greatest competitors, still be that much further ahead is, is very, very cool. And just on a New Zealand note, we had um, some pretty cool. Actually, one of those dominating performances was Hamish and Bond in the boat in New Zealand. They were pretty cool. And um, we had a young pole vaulter who got third, got bronze, and she was just she's 19. Like, it kind of blows your mind away. So I love the Olympics. What saddens me a little bit about the Olympics nowadays is unfortunately, it's the first Olympics where I did watch it, kind of thinking that. A lot of these athletes probably are on drugs. Um, in the past, I've probably deep down known it, but haven't really. It hasn't been present in my experience of watching the Olympics. Uh, whereas this time, it is tainted, isn't it? Like, well, at least my experience of it is tainted because even some of the rock stars, you do wonder that if in five, ten years from now we're going to find out that they were cheating. And you know, and I watched like I loved watching the weightlifting. I was watching uh, the men's weightlifting. You know, the heavyweight guys, I think over 105 kg. And these guys were lifting 257 kg above their head. So, like, massively huge amount of strength. And it was really appealing to watch. But you do kind of watch it with that kind of tainted, you know, unfortunately drugs is, is probably a part of, of not just the sport, but many sports at the Olympics. And for me, that's a sad thing that, unfortunately, sport has kind of become in today's world and, and I'm not sure what the answer is I know a lot of people think that maybe we should move towards that whole idea of making drugs open and um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit averse to it because I kind of think that what's the purpose of sport in life and I think that ultimately and I always go back to what are we trying to teach our kids you know that's the thing that I'm always thinking about is what are we trying to teach our kids with sport and um, I think that when you know we say drugs are let's like I get the drug argument because the argument is that well, it's so hard to keep on track on top of the drugs game why don't we just concede and say let's just go for it and see what happens and then I also see the argument to say that when we look at life you know enhancement of humanity and medically and, and through technology is something that's that's happening more and more each day and so why would that not come through sport and I, I see all these arguments but the thing for me is is that when we think about kids and we think about what they are you know what what do we want to teach kids about sport and, and movement in their lives and to me ultimately like it's nice to win things but we want to make it that you know 
uh, ultimately that sport is something that enriches your life for more than just those moments where you win, but for where you grow character, where you develop amazing friendships, where you learn about teamwork, and you know, there's just so much good stuff that comes from sport. And um, I wonder if we were to open that door to say that drugs are an option, what does that teach our kids? Um, you know, and it's interesting if we look at the Lance Armstrong, you know, kind of experience with drugs. One thing that was really interesting about Lance Armstrong, and you know, you can you know you can argue he was in a field with all druggies, and it's, it is true. You know, like if you look at the history of what happened in the Tour de France in that time, Lance was just kind of playing in a pretty even playing field as in all the rumor on drugs. But then in saying that, once you kind of read like Tyler Hamilton's books and you read some of these deeper level books around how they were going about it. Lance was definitely the most sophisticated in doing that. So then, does it just become, if we open up to drugs, does it just become the country that is the most sophisticated will become the most dominant? You know, and so there's many questions to explore on that front. But for me, I just think that ultimately, I would prefer a world where drugs weren't the choice because I think that ultimately, we want to teach our kids the value of sport in their life and ensure winning is a part of sport, but actually... There's so much for sport, and we want to create healthy adults. Having sport in their life is a really important thing to think about. The other thing I was a little bit disappointed in, um, about the Olympics was the media's portrayal of the Olympics. Now, we, you know, if you'd watched New Zealand's TV leading up to the Olympics, they basically, for about you know, a week before, maybe 10 days before, every day they'd have a report on the Olympics, you know, and, and traditionally that would be kind of the New Zealand athletes, the fun stories from what's happening around the area and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately for us, the New Zealand media, and I think this isn't just the New Zealand media, I think it's kind of media in general, um, a lot of media just put the emphasis on what was wrong. Um, and you know what, I know there was a lot wrong and it's kind of hard not to see with the way the, the media reported it. But I do wonder if it was a disproportionate amount of what was wrong in comparison to what was right with the Olympics. And so, I don't know, that... that kind of painted the brush or painted the the story in a way you know when we think about it how many negative stories really were there there, there weren't that many and you know no no buildings crashed and you know like all the stuff we heard that was going to happen before the games actually didn't really prove to be a problem and so in some ways i feel a bit sorry for brazil because it's been painted as a disaster from you know four years ago and, and in many ways it wasn't and you know i wonder if yeah, I don't know, it was just something to think about. Anyway, I'm kind of waffling on. The Olympics. One thing I am going to do, team, is I'm saving my butt off because I'm going to go to Tokyo. Joe and I are going to head to Tokyo and do the Olympics there. So um, I hope you enjoyed the Olympics and I hope your athletes in your country did some amazing things. Actually, one real highlight for, for me was New Zealand was hoping to win the Rugby Sevens and we did abysmally. <laughs> we were terrible. But Fiji managed to win the gold medal. Fiji has never won a medal at all at the Olympics and they won the gold medal and... It was one of those moments where even when you lose, you're happy that somebody else won. And again, that's what sports can be about. This week's show, guys, this week is the Bevan episode. It's I'm going to be doing something. Um, I read an article actually recently, and I'm, and I'm kind of going to talk to this article. I think it's a really great article. And so I, I read, I um, bought the book from the author, and there's some really interesting insight that I want to share with you based on some of the thinking this author has done. So this, today's show is going to be a bit about that. One other thing is I, um, I've got a few emails that I was going to respond to in today's show, but for some reason, my sorting system has let me down. So if you are somebody who has said, look, I'm going to respond to your email on the next podcast, and I don't today, which I'm not going to because I'm not going to be responding to any, can you flip me an email and just let me know because it maybe send the original email back to me because unfortunately I've lost the emails I was going to respond to today. So yeah my gmail system has let me down team anyway before i get into the show uh the patrons the patrons are, are a massively important part of the show these are the people who give a bit of their hard-earned cash to me to to produce the show and what i do with the patronage is every time i release a show whatever you decide to donate it just goes towards the show um one thing i'm trying to do is do more video stuff and so um, yeah, and I'm just trying to, I'm actually trying to update my website. So the patronage money right now is actually going towards updating my website. So uh, if you want to support me and what I'm doing with this show, um, I would really appreciate it. Just go to bevanjamesisles.com and it's all pretty clear from there. You just see a Patreon link, click on that, and then I'll just go through the process from there. But I am going to name a few of my, my patrons that are already patrons of the show. And first of all, we've got Holly, the go-getter Woodhouse. And Holly is the lady I had on the show maybe a couple of months ago now, who started that amazing magazine, which is called... 
say yes to adventure. That's what it's called. Say yes to adventure. And I highly recommend you check out her website. Uh, Sue Chisel, the only way is up. We've got Denise Dana, and it's Ab Fab. We've got Nathan. Nathan, I don't have your last name, so if you want to flick it through to me, Nathan the Hurricane. And we've got Mary Jane Mariko the Magic. So these people are all patrons of the show. And again, if you want to be a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Here we go, guys. I'm going to put the main just on the show right now. I was reading an article by a guy called Marshall Goldsmith the other day, um, and, and he and I actually went on to discover that he's written a book, or he's actually written a few books, but his latest book is called Triggers, and it's called Creating Behavior That Lasts, or Changing, sorry, Creating Behavior, oh no, Creating Behavior That Lasts, Becoming the Person You Want to Be. Now this guy is kind of a high-level executive coach, he's done a lot of work in behavior change and stuff like that, and I'm kind of a, maybe halfway through his book, and I think it's a really good book, actually, I'm really enjoying it. Some really good stuff in there, but one thing he talks a lot about in his work is... The idea of triggers, and, and triggers, I suppose, how would you define it? It's, it's probably kind of thoughts that work against my success. Uh, and and basically, I read this article, and I, I kind of had like maybe 12, 14, 15 kind of of these triggers that work against your success. And I really liked it. So I kind of thought today maybe I'll just kind of talk about these triggers and maybe just share some examples of each trigger. So what, what, what how do I describe this better? So ultimately, let's say you want to achieve a goal or you want to create change, but these thinking patterns or these flaws in your kind of way of approaching the goals decrease the chance of you actually achieving it or, or moving towards action of change is probably a way of thinking about it. So if we use the fitness example, for many people they have the idea of going out and exercising, but they don't. So why is that? And one thing Marshall talks about, and this is something I often talk about when I do public speaking, is this whole idea of we often know what we need to do, so why can't we do it? And it's something I, I, I remember, I wrote for my local newspaper for about five or six years, and the last kind of year I've pulled away from doing it. And one thing I, my last piece I wrote, which I actually got quite a bit of feedback on, was this whole idea of, you know, because I, I was very fortunate when I wrote for my paper. A lot of people told me that they really valued my work and that they got really appreciated and got lots from it. And, and my last kind of, my last piece I wrote was, you know, kind of my goodbye. But also, have I helped you change? No, and it's one thing that, um, what's this, this book, I'm just going to pull this up right now. I think it was Marshall. One thing Marshall talked about, yeah, Marshall Goldsmith. So one thing he talks about in his book is that he often gets people say to him, "Yeah, your ideas are they kind of they kind of basic," and uh, and he's saying, "Yeah, that's often the thing is that yeah, they might be basic, but are you doing them?" You know, and, and it was one thing that in my last piece that I wrote for the press when I knew I was kind of it was going to be my last press, I said pieces I said, you know, like I get lots of people telling me they've enjoyed my work, but have I actually helped you change? And you know. Often we hear these great ideas, don't we? We hear these kind of, you might read a book, you might listen to this podcast or other podcasts, or you may you know, read an article, or you may hear a friend say they're doing something that's really great, and you think that's such a good idea. But do you apply it? And ultimately, that's, that's the real test, isn't it? And, and it was, you know, in this piece that I wrote, it was very much that kind of thing of, have I given you tools, but actually, have I helped you change? And, and to me, because as a content creator, my measure is, do people change? And uh, yeah, and so really, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listen to this, and I know I'm guilty of this myself, is that I'll, I'll read an idea, or I'll get a new concept that I haven't thought of, but do I have the ability to apply it? And in and, and Marshall's piece, that's what he's kind of talking about, is what are the belief triggers that sabotage you moving towards that change? So that's really what we're talking about today. What are these kind of beliefs that you have that actually work against your success when you are trying to create change? And as I talk about them, this I've actually got 15 points. I think I called the show 14 points. But as, as I talked about them here, just really kind of identify with yourself, reflect upon yourself and see if you do these yourself. So the first one he's got is, if I understand, I will do. And in some ways, it's kind of actually, I've almost kind of killed the lead on this one because this is a little bit like what I was talking about with the book, that a lot of people think that if they can gain the understanding, the action will follow. 
And as we talked about for that example before, you know, you know, um, my piece that I wrote about for the press is that a lot of people probably understood what I was talking about with my pieces, or a lot of people probably understood Marshall's kind of concepts, and they think they're pretty easy, and they think that's going that just because I understand it, it's going to happen. But actually, it takes a lot more than me just understanding something for me to be able to apply it. It's actually really interesting because there was, I've, I've recently taken on a client who's. Um, I, I wouldn't mind doing a show on this person eventually, but uh, you know, I need to ask their permission to do that. But they um, they are someone who's been quite a big fan of my work, and they're someone who's who's often over the years have communicated with me, telling me that you know, oh, they really like this piece and they like that piece, and so they they've shown that they've understood a lot of my work, and you know, and they've communicated it to me. But you know, in the last period of time, we've started working in this kind of mentoring situation, and. With working in a mentoring situation, we really try to nut down the behaviors we're trying to shift and put in strategies and accountability and planning and all these kind of layers on top of just, I need to understand. It's been really interesting to watch this person step into a very successful place in a very short period of time. And before we'd started doing this next level work together, you know, we were I was working with them and they were doing some really kind of important work regularly within their week they understood what they needed to change but they weren't doing and so sometimes we think we just need to understand to create a change but actually it takes a lot more than that so when we think about this kind of what we're talking about today that if i believe that if i just understand it, it will happen that's probably going to work against me because what i need to be working on is once i understand how do i apply it so it becomes something that happens in my life and this person I'm talking about right now is they under, they understood a lot of the stuff that I talk about on the show. What's helped them apply it a lot better is to work with a mentor and to kind of do that work that you know you know I'm here I'm, I can't take much responsibility because actually they're doing all the work, but just that kind of that commitment to a mentor is actually the thing that helps them to create the change. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, second point is again the second point of left triggers that sabotage your success is I ha- I have willpower I will not give into temptation and and there's a really interesting kind of thing that I love here it's this high terror of that if I need structure I'm weak and if I need will if I if I just use willpower it means I'm strong and it's something actually I'm going to go back to the client I'm speaking about and, and you know who you are as I'm talking but you know, one thing that I've really tried to reinforce with this client because they've done really well in a very short period of time. And one thing they were talking to me about last week is, you know, they've had these massive shifts and it's not as hard as they thought it was going to be. And in the past, I imagine, although I haven't spoken to them about this, they thought that they just needed willpower. That, you know, like, let's say overeating was their problem. It wasn't, but I'm just kind of using this context here for privacy reasons. But let's say overeating was their problem. Well, if overeating was their problem, they just thought they needed willpower. And because they didn't have willpower, they were weak. And it probably meant that when they looked at people who didn't overeat, they probably thought, wow, these people just have amazing willpower. And... One of the downfalls, well, no, let me take a step back there. So what's been really key to this person's success in the areas they're trying to overcome and grow in is that we've created these really strong structures and tools to help them be successful in not needing to use willpower in temptation moments where they would previously fail in the past. So we identify where are some areas where you need to really kind of change your behavior and what are the structures and planning that we need to put in place so that when temptation comes up, you know how to navigate through that in a way that stays on a healthier path. If anything, we don't really even want to be willpower to be a part of the playing at that moment. And what's been really fascinating is they've been really successful. You know, that those old temptation moments have disappeared and, and they're actually starting to say that uh, these temptations don't even appeal to me now as I'm moving more down this path. And one thing that I've been trying to reinforce with this person is that you keep, you need to keep rewarding the tools. So it's not we're saying, oh, I've been really good because I've got good willpower in that moment. I need to go, I was successful because I've used the structures that have helped me be successful in that moment. 
we, we really want to think about this one here because I think everyone thinks the ultimate answer is if I have willpower, I will succeed. But actually, what we want to go is if I create amazing structures, I will be successful. And structures are strategies and all those types of things I'm going to put in place. And and it's really important, and I think this is the most important thing, I want to reward the tools and structures, and I also don't want to think that I'm weak because that's the case. And then lastly, the thing that I've been reinforcing with my, my client is, and this is a really important thing, is um, it's actually easier when I use the structures. You know, to spend a little bit of time planning, strategizing, thinking about tools and those types of things, it's way easier if I use that way than if I were to just use you know, my willpower, which I often lose to. And if we even go back to that kind of idea of what's the cost of a bad decision? Well, you know, when I use willpower and I, I kind of suck at it and then I do a poor decision, well, there's that kind of massive flow-on cost that comes with that. But if I use my structures, A, I, I know I'm going to be successful. B, I am successful. And then C, after that moment, I have fresher mind energy to put into much more powerful things in my life. So that's the second one. I have willpower. I will not give in to temptation. Number three, and this is a really good one. Today is a special day. And this is one that I really, as a parent, one I really struggled with. So, you know, as a parent, you try to make sure your kids eat good nutrition. You know, it's one thing, you know, in today's world, there's so much choice and there's so much choice you know, maybe isn't that healthy and kids have a lot of access to that. And one thing I always struggled with is, you know, like the idea of it's okay because it's a special day. And a really good example of that is kids' birthday parties. So you kind of think, well, it's a kids' birthday party. You know what? They can eat all the crap food they want today because it's a kids' birthday party. But there could be periods where, you know, kids have been going to two birthday parties every weekend. And that's a really good example of this is that, you know, ultimately I want to be living in these kind of rules or this kind of set of behaviors that keeps me in a happy place. But then sometimes, oh, well, today's a special day. But when you stop and think about it, it's almost like I have special days almost every day. And so that is something that's really sabotaging my success because that whole idea of I let myself off the hook today because this thing is happening is actually something that's really working against me. A, a, a different kind of example of this is the person who stays in a relationship that's really bad for them, um, where they know they want to leave the relationship, but, you know, A, it's hard. And so what they tend to do is they tend to go, well, it's, you know, you know, like let's say you want to break up with someone, you know you want to break up with them, and, and it's just going worse and worse, and you want to, but then they've had a hard day at work. So today's not the day because it's been a hard day. And really what we are thinking about here is that with this concept of today as a special day is how am I allowing events in my life which are going to happen often being an excuse for me not maintaining the change that I ultimately desire. It's a really interesting one to think about. Number four, I really like this one. At least I'm better then. At least I'm better then. And I think we're all probably a little bit guilty of this when we don't succeed. And so, you know, it might be that moment where you've, I don't know, you've, you've put on some weight or you've, um, you know, you may have, you may have got a little bit too drunk or, you know, you just did a behavior that you know you're not happy with or you haven't done your exercise or something like that. And then what you do is you justify it because you can look someone who is below you in that area in your life. So you may not exercise for a couple of weeks, but then you can think, well, at least, at least I'm better than John, my mate, because he never exercises. Now, in some ways, I can understand why we do that. And, and in some ways, especially in hugely disappointing times, it can sometimes actually be a, a nice strategy to put in place just to get yourself through the next moment. But ultimately, it's kind of taking the easy path and not allowing me to really think and learn and grow from this, this moment. Uh, when I allow myself to look below me to justify my letdown and my behaviours, I don't allow myself to reflect and learn what I need to learn from this moment. So one thing, if you know that you are that person who does it, oh, at least I'm better than, in the areas where you know you want to develop yourself, maybe you want to start to learn that actually if I'm using that statement, I need to put the mirror back on myself. So instead of reflecting out and looking for someone just to make me feel good because I've let myself down, 
I want to, you know, not beat myself up. But I want to use this as a moment to just think, actually, instead of thinking this, I'm better than, what do I need to learn from this moment and where can I evolve next time so that's not the case? Because if I always, you know, I sometimes say in class, and I say it mockingly, but I also really mean it, and it's that whole thing of, if you believe your excuses, you become an excuse. And I say it, you know, because in, in the peak of a really hard class, we often will just will look for excuses for why we shouldn't go hard. And that was, you know, that kind of, if you believe your excuses, you will become an excuse, is kind of to motivate them to make the harder choices. And it's kind of similar thing here. If I find myself going, at least I'm better then, well, that should be a trigger for me to turn and actually look at the mirror at myself. Because the other thing I think is really important, we ultimately feel most alive when we are growing in the right ways for us in our lives. And when I allow myself to use at least I'm better than, I'm looking towards reasons why I shouldn't grow. So ultimately I'm accepting a life that would be less satisfying than if I were to actually put the mirror in front of myself at that moment. So it should be a good one to think about. And number five. I shouldn't need help or structure. It kind of sits a little bit on top of the the, um, the willpower one around structure. But one thing uh, Marshall talks about in his book, and I really like this one, there's a really great book called The Checklist Manifesto. And The Checklist Manifesto kind of argues that we should be using kind of lists a lot more in our life. I haven't actually read the book, but I've kind of heard a lot about it over the years. And uh, this, this person, I think a lot of it's around the medical world. And he talks a lot about how... In the medical world, um, that you know, doctors didn't want to use checklists because you know they were better than that, and uh, and eventually they managed to make them do checklists. You know, like real basic. Did you do this? Yes. Did you do this? Yes, and so on. And the the problems or the accidents and you know problems that happen within their world decreased, I don't know the exact percentage, but it was a significant number just by using a checklist. And in that situation, a doctor, you know, these you know, doctors are very intelligent people, they're highly skilled, highly trained, you know, they thought that was below them and they didn't think they needed that help. You know, and, and probably for their ego they didn't want to accept that. But then when they actually started you know, putting it into practice, it proved that it made them perform higher if that was the case. And so what are those structures that allows you to perform higher? But also, I shouldn't need help. And I think this is one thing that a lot of people are guilty of, is I shouldn't need help. If you want to grow in an area, all of us need help. All of us need people to push us and develop us and, and guide us and grow us and motivate us. And so if something is really important to you, even if you feel you should be strong, I'm trying to lose diet and I'm trying to lose weight, for example, and as I'm trying to lose weight, I, you know, it's just about me eating healthy choices and I know how to eat, so I shouldn't need help. But if you were to get the right person beside you to motivate you, guide you, mentor you, educate you, I think there would be a higher chance of you achieving that goal. So this whole idea of I shouldn't need help or structure is actually working against you and your success. Number six, I won't get tired and my enthusiasm won't disappear. Now this is a classic strategy and it actually works on one that, that comes later on. We, we, we It's really interesting actually, I'll, I'll share an example. So yesterday I went out for coffee with my daughter, my daughter's 19 now so I kind of go out for coffee for every couple of weeks. It's kind of our relationship now and it's really cool. I love the relationship I have with my daughter now because she's of an age where, I don't know, it's, it's more of a peer relationship um, but she is open to you know, teenage years is often about rejecting parents and <laughs> she she definitely did a lot of that to me in those years but in the last period of time she's become a lot more open to to what I can offer and also I you know I learn from her as well so it's a kind of a, a much more of a two-way relationship and uh, she's she's been a little bit lost around career in the last period of time and she is you know she's 19 and she's got a job that she likes but she knows it's kind of going nowhere in the long term and she also knows deep down that she wants a bit more from life and so that there needs to be some upskilling that comes alongside her path moving forward. At the same time, she's a little bit uncertain around, 
you know, what the path forward is. And so what we've said is, well, let's commit some time together and you and I will sit down and we're going to, you know, over time start to work towards you getting on the path where you're moving towards what that next step in your life will be. And this is often a really cool moment in someone's life. It's that moment when you kind of open them up to a possibility of what their future can be. And that that can be, you know, you've found an exercise regime and you go along the first time and, and it's awesome. The people are great and uh, they treat you well, and you walk away, and you feel on top of the world, and so you have this unlimited energy and enthusiasm that I'm going to absolutely nail this, and the unfortunate thing around that is that often that makes us plan really poorly, so then, you know, you go, you know, and you see this as a personal show, you might do a session with somebody for the first time, and they think they're going to be really successful, and uh, or they really enjoyed the session, and then after that, after the fact, they kind of say, oh, I'm going to come three times a week, and, you know, you, you discover pretty quickly that it's not going to be the case, so one thing we want to do is we want to, to maintain our enthusiasm and our energy towards our goals, but we also want to be aware of tiredness will be a factor and so I need to when I plan my change I need to be aware that if I'm feeling really enthusiastic or energetic towards my goal I need to make sure I put in place a level of real kind of realistic thinking around my energy levels in this area it's actually really funny if I go back to the client I was talking about earlier one thing we've talked about is low energy moments you know when are those low energy moments because we've got these strategies and these tools that are proving to be really really successful but in your low energy moments those are harder things to put in place so one thing we want you to, t- to learn about over this next period of time is when are your low energy moments now this person has a very demanding job very kind of energy sapping job and so one thing we've discovered is a low energy moment for this person is after work and so we've kind of put in strategies that can help them recharge and go back to structures structures at that time and that's what we really want to think about here is what we've done well with this person is to say well you are enthusiastic you are energetic towards achieving your goals you've got tools that you know are working but at the same time we, we need to recognize there's going to be moments where you're tired so how are we going to get through those moments in a way that keeps you making healthier decisions towards the change you desire? So, you know, as you think about this, that's something to think about as well. Number seven, I have all the time in the world. And this is a common fault that we see. And, and there's a few things I want to talk about here. I have all the time in the world. A lot of people have no idea around how much time they really have in their weekly life. And it's one of the biggest problems I see when I first start working with new clients. Particularly, there's, you know, there's different types of clients you get, but particularly the client who who's overloaded in life. And a lot of people who I work with tend to be business people. They live in a constant flow of guilt. And the guilt is, I'm not doing everything I should be doing. And often, you know, not just business people, people who try to achieve a lot, you get this as well, is that they kind of feel they're failing because in their mind, success means they're using every minute of every day on growth. And if they're not using that minute, they're wasting their time. So A, that neglects the fact we get tired. But B, because they have this kind of mindset, I need to use every minute to the max, they try to fill it up, but they but they don't really understand how those minutes work in their day. And um, it's one thing I learned really well early on. Well, not early on, but one thing I learned once I started doing my weekly meetings, I've talked about weekly meetings on the show before, is that whole idea of sitting down at one stage in your week and planning out your week. And a weekly meeting is, like for me, it's my Monday morning, I sit down after I taught a class, I do some weights, and I come home, I sit down on my computer and spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes just planning my week. And what I'm looking at doing when I'm planning my week is I'm thinking of my whole life. And then I'm trying to slot my whole life in there. Now, there's lots of value in that. The people who do the weekly meetings, particularly people who have been really good at overloading their life in the past, they become really good at realizing how much time they really have. They also become really good at realizing how much energy they can commit to the different things in their lives. And to me, that's one of the real values of the idea of the weekly meeting is that a lot of people think they have all the time in the world, but it's it's actually not true and you know well, none of us do <laughs> uh, but if we can use tools like the weekly meeting then we can have a greater understanding of how much time we have and what's realistic to put in that time so for example 
for me right now, I've got a few big projects on. We're trying to create an online product for my business. Um, I've got my taxes to do. I've got, you know, we're doing a latest sales group for my latest group of business. I'm trying to create a new seminar. So I've got like kind of four or five big projects. I'm also trying to finish a course that I'm doing. So at the moment, I've kind of got four or five big projects plus my day-to-day plus, you know, my piano, my, you know, my, my band, we're recording an album this weekend. So, you know, I've got these big projects on. Now, if I thought I had all the time in the world, I would just think I could get them all done at one time. But actually, I would just feel guilty because I'm not getting them all done at one time. But because I've got tools like the weekly meeting, I know, you know what, taxes aren't going to happen this week. This week, I have to put more time into sales because it's at a really pivotal time for my business. But I also know next week's sales aren't going to be so bad. So then I can go into my tax. And that's where the weekly meeting becomes a really important part of my being successful in my life. A, it allows me to become, have a greater understanding of my time in the world. It makes me understand what I can realistically get done with that time. And then it removes the guilt of the things I'm not doing because I know it's just not possible. And probably lastly, it allows me to prioritize what's important. So as I think about my next two or three months, I know what I'm trying to work towards and I can let, you know, navigate that in a much wiser way. So I just think that whole idea of if you think you have all the time in the world or if you always feel you live under guilt because you're not getting everything done, a tool like a weekly meeting can be really powerful to help you become better at understanding your time and then planning it a lot better. So there we go. Uh, number eight, uh, I won't get distracted and nothing unexpected will occur. This is a really interesting one, isn't it? It's it's almost that kind of my plan has to go to 100% perfection for me to achieve what I want to achieve. And um, we all know that life's not that way inclined. And uh, I, I think this is actually a really good one, actually, because when we think about this, you need to understand it. it's not always going to go to plan, that I am going to get distracted or something that I couldn't have seen in the future is going to occur. And if I don't prepare or be aware that this would happen, then I can get completely thrown off course. And if my plan is a plan that has no room for movement and no understanding that these things are going to happen, often what happens is, once I lose 2% of my planning, I just fall completely off the wagon. You see this a lot with people, you know, sometimes I see it with my beginner runners, you, you know, you'll get them for three weeks and they're doing so well and they haven't missed anything. You know, I turn up to every session, they're doing really well. And then, I don't know, maybe their partner gets sick and they have to miss a session. And then suddenly there's a dint in the, there's a kind of a kink in their armour. And this kink in the armour represents, allows them to fall off the wagon a lot more. Whereas if they were to have said, Okay, in the next eight weeks, I want to attend as many sessions as possible. But if I get distracted, here's what I'm going to do. Or if something unexpected happens, here's how I'm going to deal with it. Or what mindset will I put myself in place at that time? So let's say, again, the partner gets sick and they can't make a session. Well, what they could have done is just, you know, maybe get someone to plan to babysit the kids, you know, back up, you know, their neighbor, let their neighbor know that, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be, you know, maybe one night I'll get you to just jump around and look after kids so I can go out and do the session by myself. So it's problem solving your way around it, but also being aware that distractions and unexpected things are going to occur. And our, our job is to keep on our path even when those happen. Um, number nine, I, an epiphany will suddenly change in my life. This is, a, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because sometimes for some people, there is an epiphany moment. There's this, you know, I'm a great example of it. I had a really bad LSD experience. I, I had three epiphany moments. I had a really bad LSD experience. I had one of my friends told me he was embarrassed of me. And then I had um, one of my other friends say, uh, you realize we're druggies and, and those three epiphany moments were massive triggers for me and and you know I went cold turkey and drugs and all the rest of it straight away but these epiphany moments you know that did suddenly change my life but I don't know if that's the best strategy for change that because this relies on on impulse or it reminds on hope and pray or, or for a lot of people it relies on you getting to your lowest point but where's your lowest point how low do you have to go 
to get to your lowest point. And and what happens if that's your strategy and you, it doesn't happen? You just keep going lower. Like I don't know if that's the way that we should be looking for changes to hope that an epiphany is going to be the change that, you know, the one I've talked about on this show and I've written about before is this whole idea of you go to the doctor and he says, you're in your smoker and he says, oh, if you don't smoke, you're going to die in six months from now. Now that's, and that's in a kind of an epiphany moment. And for a lot of people, that is the motivation that helps them change. But do you really want to wait to that moment? Do you really want to hope that an epiphany comes up? And what if it doesn't? Does that mean you're just going to accept the place you're in in your life for the rest of your life? Instead of hoping for an epiphany, to me it's much better if you go, I want to create change, so I'm going to work towards the change that I desire. It's a big one, you know, like I was lucky, because in my lowest point, almost in a very short period of time, three things happened that were definitely epiphany moments, and I was able to do a total U-turn on my life in that moment. And in fairness, lots of people do have that experience as well. You know, it's that moment you jump on the scales and you know you've gone too far. Or it's that moment when someone says something to you that, you know, you know you need to change. Or it might even be inspiration. It might be that moment where some, you see something you fire out. If they can do that, I can do this too. But you kind of have to wait for those moments. And really, do you want to wait for change in your life? Or do you want to be someone who actually leads change in your life? So uh, that's a big one. Number 10, my change is permanent and I will never have to worry again. Uh, This is, let's be honest, this is a real classic diet one, isn't it? We've all seen many, many people. So again, that is my change is permanent. I will never have to worry again. We've all seen that person who's gone on a diet and lost, you know, amazing amount of weight and you know, and you're just like, wow, man, it's amazing effort. Because to lose a lot of weight takes a lot of effort. And to do that for a long time is, you know, really hard thing to do. And so when they get that point, and I've, I've seen people who've lost like 40, 50 kg, and that's, man, it's respect. But then we've all seen that person who's achieved that goal of losing a massive amount of weight. And then within a period of time after that, we've seen them put that weight on. And sometimes this is the problem that people face with change is that they create the change and they don't remind themselves that this is an ongoing process that I need to stick to for the rest of my life. This, you know, like again, if I go back to my client that I'm talking about a lot in today's show, the tools that we're talking about today that have made them be successful, in my mind, that's how they'll need to live their life for the rest of their life if they want to maintain the change that they want and that's just one thing we need to know that if I want to change and keep change you know and ultimately change is not just about a moment of change it's about a sustainable way that I can live for the long term well I need to understand that my change is permanent and I do have to worry about my change isn't permanent sorry and I do have to worry about not worry but I do have to plan to maintain the change. And, and fitness, actual exercise, is probably the greatest example of this, isn't it? Because with exercise, you can get really, really fit. But if you stop exercising tomorrow, you're going to lose that fitness pretty quickly. And over a period of time, you'll become very unfit. And actually, in the long term, you know, you'll become unhealthy because you're not exercising. So exercise, if you're someone who's never exercised and you've managed to get to the place where suddenly you're achieving a goal, well, that, that change isn't permanent. You've, you've got to think about how do I make exercise a part of my regular life. And number 11, elimination of problems does not mean new problems will not come up. And I love this one. Elimination of problems does not mean that new problems don't come up. And I love this one because ultimately life is, I don't know if problems is the right word, but, but life is really problems that I'm trying to solve continuously. And I've got a really good example of another client I'm working with lately. And this is a client who is a business owner, um, Business was on top of them, a little bit stressed, a little bit unhealthy, and all those types of things. And in the last six months, they've made a massive change. But one thing we talked about recently, which has really had a massive effect on this person's life, I, we talked about the All Blacks. So for those people who don't know the All Blacks, the All Blacks are the New Zealand rugby team, and they are massively successful. I think in the last kind of 20 years, they've been the most successful sports team in the world, if we look at percentages of wins. Now, um, 
in saying that, I think the US men's basketball team are pretty good, but but you know they're up there. I think they get about ninety percent win rate, and you know in in some pretty tough competition. They're a very very successful team, and one thing I was I was watching an interview with uh, the All Black captain, the old All Black captain, a guy called Richie McCaw, and one thing he talked about is that they just see everything as a challenge, and they're excited by a challenge. That for them, like they won last year's World Cup, and you saw the interviews, and they're like. You know, how do you feel about the final? And he's like, oh man, I, I, this, is, this is the challenge. It kind of goes back to the interview I did with David Galbraith a few, a few episodes ago. This whole idea of looking at everything as a challenge. And that's an opportunity for me to learn and grow and understand myself to higher levels. And when I talked about this with my client, I kind of said, you know, when you think about your business, you really are just problem solving all the time. That's kind of your role. And maybe an attitude we want you to start practicing is this whole idea of everything's a challenge, which is ultimately an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for me to grow. It's an opportunity for me to learn. It's an opportunity for me to overcome myself. It's an opportunity for me to develop others. You know, there's so much value in this kind of idea of, um, you know, problems are challenge are opportunities and really what's what's really fascinating is that this client has jumped on board with this like it's really fascinating and this kind of mindset of everything is a challenge as an opportunity for me to grow has made massive he's leaps and bounds he's moving forward in just the work he's doing and, and overcoming things that were massive things in his life because now he just sees them as a challenge to, to grow. So I think, you know, to realize that the elimination is a problem isn't the goal because problems aren't going to disappear. What I want to become is I want to become a person who can see challenge as an opportunity to grow and then learn how to work through challenge. So, and, and ultimately, you know, when we look at like a Richie McCraw and the All Blacks is, they seek challenge, they seek problems because they want to overcome them. And to me, one person I love right now in this area, and I haven't read his book, which I should, is Elon Musk. Elon Musk is kind of the new Steve Jobs of the world, and Elon Musk has the Tesla car, and he has the um, the solar power company, and and you, you kind of read what he talks about, and I've watched a few interviews with him, and he just goes, he he's just kind of gone, What's the world's biggest challenges right now? And, and what are some ways that I can, you know, what are some problems I can solve that are going to have a massive impact, impact on the earth? And to me, man, that's, that's, that's a way to live a life, isn't it? You know, so elimination of problems isn't the goal. It's to embrace problems, see them as challenges, and use them as opportunity for growth. Um, number 12, my efforts will be fairly rewarded. And, and I think this is a really interesting one. What is the reward you're chasing? And, and this is something I've talked about a lot on the show, is kind of what ladder are you climbing up? But what rewards are you chasing? Because when we think about fairly rewarded, is the reward I'm chasing something I'm wanting from the outside? You know, am I looking for external reward for me to feel successful? And really, and this is something that Marshall talks about in the book, is that ultimately what we should be looking for is the reward is something that's more internal. So the reward of me trying to to achieve something is that I feel good at something, or I am good at something, or I've developed myself. Not that, you know, I get more money for this reason. Now, ultimately, if you work in a job and you want to achieve some growth, it is nice to get that reward. But... If you only if you only feel good about your success, if you get that reward, you're probably going to sabotage your success if you don't get the reward. Whereas if you get your success, and just because you feel good about yourself and you will notice it, you're probably going to find that the flow on effect is you will get those other rewards as well. So, my efforts will be fairly rewarded. What we're talking about here is it's more the reward I'm looking for is my internal understanding and growth of self. Number thirteen, no one is paying attention. To me here i think this is a really interesting one in the workplace environment isn't it because ultimately there's many jobs where you could do a half-assed job where you could you know you could kind of just have poor form and you you may think you're getting away with it but are you like are you getting away with it and and to me there's a few costs here i, I think ultimately you're not and why is that because well when opportunity comes up, who gets that opportunity? It's not really the person who thinks they're getting away with murder by not doing their job well. It's the person who tends to shine. It's the person who does tend to focus on being good at what they're doing. 
And when we think about that for the person who thinks they're getting away with this, no one's paying attention to me so I can get away with this. Well, ultimately, it's just hurting you. And, uh, and if I go back to that thing I was talking about before, is that you are most rewarded when you feel you're growing. Well, to me, that's, you know, again, that's the thing I want to think about. Uh, number 14, uh, if I change, I am being inauthentic. Yeah, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? We refuse to adapt our behaviours to new situations because it isn't me. It's kind of like a stubbornness, isn't it? That, And this is a really big one, like for people who drink, and, and you know, but they may drink in a way that they know they don't want to drink so much. And it's that whole thing of, but I'm the party animal. So if I give up drinking, I've got to stop being the party animal. So it's inauthentic for me to, to stop this. So it's not me to be this change. But I don't like the way I drink. And so something has to change here. And that's what you really need to think about is, what am I being stubborn about that's stopping me from creating a change that I desire in this way? Because ultimately that is, that, that's the real limit for me. If, if, if I'm, you know, I know I need to go out drinking because it's actually hurting my relationship, my life, my health. But I, I'm so stubborn because, hey, I'm the life of the party and I'm the guy who always gets things going. Well, that's justifying why I can't change. And instead of maybe being stubborn about the fact that I'm that way inclined, you can look at it in a different angle. So what you could say is, how can I be the life of the party without alcohol? Now that's probably a challenging question for the person who needs alcohol, alcohol to be the party. But it's a question, it's a much better way of looking at it, saying I can't. And that's what we want to think about is, when am I being stubborn in a way that actually works against my behavior change? You know, some people really work against themselves in this way. They've almost created an identity that, that means that they can't change because they're that way inclined. And, you know, that's something that you really need to think about. Lastly, 15, so it turns out there's 15 of these. Um, I have the wisdom to assess my own behaviours. This is really good. The really good example he talks about in the book, and I've heard this one before, is this: if you ask drivers if they think they're a good driver, about ninety percent of them say they are. Um, and it's that whole thing that a lot for a lot of people, we take credit when something goes well, and then when something doesn't go well, it's always somebody else's fault. And what that kind of shows is that we're actually not maybe that great at assessing our own behaviour. And one thing he does with his clients, which I think is pretty interesting, is when he first starts working with a new client, he actually interviews the people in his life, their life first, and to get a real assessment of what their real behaviour is. And I imagine that's a pretty, A, it's a pretty scary thing to go through once, you know, <laughs> imagine if everybody in your life um, did an assessment on you around your behaviours, not, you know, not mean personality stuff, but just, you know, here's their behaviour in these situations. It'd be really interesting to see what that would be their answers would be in comparison to how you felt you behaved in certain situations and often we're not that good when it comes to assessing our own behaviors because we're kind of in it we're a little bit blind maybe we think we're better than we are um i know for myself you know my piano playing has been restricted by the fact that i haven't had enough tutors along the way and if i'd had tutors i would have achieved a lot faster because I could use their wisdom to assess my technique and my playing. So one thing we really want to think about there is how do I find better tools to assess my behaviours? And that might be by using mentors, it might be by self-assessment and kind of away from the moment when I'm in it. It might be by interviewing the people in my life, you know, but these types of things can be really helpful in me assessing my behaviour and then making changes based on the real feedback I am getting not based on just what I think I am at something. So that are the 15. I'll just quickly recap. Uh, if I do, if I understand, I will do. That's number one. Number two is, uh, if I have, I have willpower, I will not give into temptation. Number three was, today is a special day. Number four is, at least I'm better than, and someone else who's worse than me. Number five is, I shouldn't need help in structure. Number six is, I won't get tired and my enthusiasm won't disappear. Number seven is, I have all the time in the world. Number eight is, I won't get distracted and nothing unexpected will occur. 
Number nine is an, epiph- an epiphany will suddenly change my life. Number 10, my change is permanent and I will never have to worry again. Number 11 is elimination of old problems does not mean that new problems won't come. Number 12, my effort will be fairly rewarded. Number 13, no one is paying attention to me. Number 14, if I change, I will be inauthentic. And then lastly, number 15, I have the wisdom to assess my own behavior. Really, when you reflect upon those 15 points that Marshall and I've talked about today here, which ones are the ones that you sabotage your success with? Maybe you can have a think about that. And what I might do is I'll put a link to an article in the show notes that Marshall wrote. Uh, the, the article I've actually got, so only got 10, but I want you to maybe go, you know, okay, so we talk about do you do. Okay, so here's your homework. Go to my website, bevanjamesiles.com, and while you're there, sign up for my email. <laughs> um, but while you're there, link, click to the article and assess. Do I use the special day thing too much? Do I... Do I kind of think to myself that I have all the time in the world, but actually I live in guilt because I've, everything's on top of me? Do I, am I waiting for an epiphany? Am I waiting for my lowest low? Do I, do I feel that if I, I lose my authenticity, if I, you know, stop drinking? Then what I want you to do is to, to plan to work on one of them, to work on a different way of approaching that area. So a special day. Okay, well, what's a different way of me working on a special day? Okay, I can identify that special days are a thing that actually works against me achieving what I want to achieve with my change. So when special days come along, I'm going to use these strategies to put in place. So it might be that special days represent that I eat too much junk food when I go to social events. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these strategies. Before I go to a junk food junk food event, I'm going to have a healthy meal beforehand. I'm going to make sure I don't stand close to the junk food. I'm going to make sure I I might allow myself to have one treat that I'm allowed to enjoy, and that's all I'm going to have. I'm going to also maybe tell a friend that this is what I'm doing so they can support me through it. So what I'm doing is I'm finding different ways to be successful in a in a self-sabotaging mindset that I used to have that today is special because normally I'd go to that party and just go OTT because, hey, you know what? Today is special. So kind of your homework or your challenge, I should have done a challenge for this week. Your challenge is to reflect upon the 15, choose one that you really identify with, that you know you sabotages your success, and then develop a strategy that you're going to practice in that area over the next period of time. Let me know how you get along. So there you go, guys. I, I Check it out. That is the 15 belief triggers that can sabotage your success. Ultimately, you know, if I kind of go back to my wrap-up of this part of the show, uh, if you do these and you can improve on these, surely you're going to become a better version of yourself. Right, I think that's pretty much today's episode. That took me a while. It took me, it took me a while to have to say. It took me a long time. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much this week's episode. I haven't actually got my next interview arranged. I have got someone in my mind who I'd like to get on, so I need to approach them. But I'm sure in a couple of weeks' time you'll be able to see them. Um, one thing I am doing is I am starting to work on an online course, an online course that you guys will be able to do, and it's very specific to a very specific kind of goal. Um, it'll probably be maybe two or three months away before it's actually ready to market but it's something I'm working on in the background at the moment so just you know keep an eye out for that I'll kind of get you guys involved in a you know a few episodes from now if you enjoy the show you can go to bevanjamesisles.com and you can become a patron of the show also uh, if you go on iTunes and put a review up, that really helps. If you've got friends that know about show, or if you see it on Facebook, uh, you can tag it or share it or anything like that. Any any support to get the word out there, that's really great. Anything else I want to share with you guys today? Actually, just one thing. I'm going to do a quick fitness thing. Always remember the moments you love exercise. I've often talked about how people... You know, when they think about doing exercise, they think it's it's going to be a horrible, hard experience. And, you know, for those who have never exercised, it's often kind of tough when you first start. But but sometimes you have those moments where exercise is amazing. And last Saturday, I had one of those moments. So we'd taken a group of runners up on the Port Hills in Christchurch here. Um, there's a beautiful run where you just basically run along the top of the hills and sunrise and it was, it was just stunning it was just beautiful and they had to run for 90 minutes and so um 
at the end of the run, everyone had gone, and Joe and I were actually going away for the night for our 40th. So I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll run home from where we'd started the run. And it was actually 15Ks from where we started the run, exactly 15Ks from where we started the run to my home um, along the hills, along the wrong, same route that these guys had actually ran. And so I took off, I put some cool, I put some The Killers, which I think The Killers are one of the best bands of all time to run through a team. I can't, they absolutely roll. Normally I kind of, I kind of try to mix my music up, but Killers are definitely a favourite. So I kind of put The Killers on and I started running. And within 15 minutes, I just was in that place where exercise was delivering everything you want from life. I was surrounded by an amazing environment. Like, just the scene was epic, you know, on the hills. One side, it points, one side of the hill was just, you see, ocean and beautiful stuff. And the other side, the city and the mountains and the snow. It was stunning. I had the, the killers just pumping in my ears. Uh, I was, you know, I was using my GPS watch. I was running at an intensity that was challenging but rewarding. And I don't know, I just, I just felt so alive. And, you know, we often think about exercise as being a journey, a chore, something that we're not going to enjoy. But when we're in it, it often just proves that to us. And my my run last Saturday, man, like when I, I'll, I'll look back on that run this year as one of the highlights of my year. I just absolutely was just in the zone of a loving exercise and what all it can offer. My senses, every sense in my body was alive in that, in that kind of hour that I ran. And... um just, just don't forget that. Don't forget that what exercise gives us because it really does. It's, it's, it's not, sure it can be a hard thing, but actually it can be the best thing to make you feel alive. So that's kind of my last point from today. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, guys. You guys rock on and I'll see you guys soon. Mm-hmm.